Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We're headed into the holiday season. Things are accelerating a lot of times on the farm, getting stuff ready before we take off, head, visit, family, and do all the other holiday things we're used to doing. But that also means things are slowing down perhaps a little bit in the markets. In spite of that, things are still moving. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst with Bar Chart, will join us in just a moment to take a peek at what is happening here in these markets. And then in segment two, we're going to hear a new voice on the AOA. OA radio show, Teresa Deutschman, ag meteorologist with DTN, will be joining the show this week to break down the details of that colossal blizzard that tore across the northern Great Plains last year, and also to bring us up to speed on some additional interesting weather that could be developing out later on this week. And then in segment three, we're going to talk with Krista Swanson. She's the new lead economist over at the National Corn Growers Association. We're going to take a look at what factors she's keeping an eye on here as we prepare to head in to 2023. But before we do all of that, we've got to get through 2022 and we've got to keep our machinery running. We've got to keep diesel in those tractors. Darren Newsom, the diesel market has been volatile for this entire year. What are you seeing in the distillate space right now? What do growers need to have on their minds? Morning, Mike. You know, as I look at the as I look at the distillates or the heating oil, you know, diesel fuel, whatever we want to call it, you know, it's it's been incredibly volatile, as you mentioned. But what we're seeing is it's still following its seasonal patterns relatively close. And you know, as I look at my seasonal study uh, on the five year index, it, it it tends to post a low, say, the third week of November, or excuse me, the last week of November. And then on the ten year or the slower moving index, it's the third week of December. So somewhere in you know that late no you know mid to late December time frame is when we usually see the distillates market put in its seasonal low. And then it rallies or, or it strengthens over the course of the winter, which is what we would expect with something called eating oil. This year it looks like it's playing out pretty well, you know, relatively close to what it what it normally does. Uh, on the second week of uh, on the second week of December we posted a low weekly close of about 280 on the futures market, and it's since rallied to 315, 320, somewhere up in there. Now, what's interesting, overnight, you know, we saw the market jump up. It was one of the leaders overnight through early um, up through early Monday morning, and then it's backed off a bit. So, as you said, a lot of volatility. Uh, week when there, you know, we, we normally see trades start to get pretty quiet. That leaves the door open for some wide price weeks. Already seeing it take place in the distillates market. Darren, now these uh, these low prices we put in typically this time of year, of course, this year, these lows are much higher. I imagine they have oh, yeah. been in years past. How does this compare to the recent five-year history of, of disflip pricing this time of year? Yeah, you know when I when I look at like price distribution and these sorts of things, we, we you know, not just for distillates, but for energies in general. You know, we we've redrawn what we expect as highs and lows. So yeah, are we on the high end? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we usually don't see prices this high. As I said, you know, we dropped down to 280, uh, and that's still pretty high. We're already back above three. So, I mean, it, it's still a high price in the futures market, but we have to just look at it from a different point of view, you know. So, yes, we're high priced. We could wait for it to come down. Fundamentally, it's still bullish, so it's probably not going to come down. And seasonally, this is the time of year to start getting some on the books, even though it's higher than, it, than we would like to and uh, putting some buy orders in. All right, get some on the books. Darren, you mentioned distillates, crude, all of it was hot overnight. It has since petered out a little bit as trade has kicked off for this week. We're seeing similar moves in the grain market, corn and soy all down today. What's the sentiment here broadly in the trade? Uh, sleepy time. Uh, there's just there's just nothing going on. Uh, you know, what was interesting to me, you know, corn, fundamentally, corn's still bullish. So, I mean, that hasn't changed. Basis strengthened last week. National average basis came in at 14 cents over March. That's a, that's a solid number. It shows that there's still some short-term demand, but, you know, merchandisers have what they need covered, and there's just not going to be much non-commercial activity between now and the end of the year. We also saw some activity overnight where soybeans were sharply lower, down almost 20 cents, and then they rallied to only a five-cent loss uh, on what looked to be some commercial buying, certainly hinted at uh, some possible export sales being made, and we did make a small sale uh, to unknown destinations, certainly not a surprise. 
Since then, once it was announced, once we kicked off Monday morning's trade, yeah, right back to its lows. Uh, again, there's just nothing new out there. Everybody's watching South American weather at this point. Uh, all of the talk is, is a possible, you know, a likely, not just a possible, but a likely uh, record crop in Brazil. So just some pressure we're seeing in the markets. Hasn't changed anything fundamentally. Uh, we just don't have a, a big flow in, in influx of money coming uh, in, you know, wanting to trade or wanting to buy corn and soybeans at this point. So, Darren, with the volume being down across the grain markets here heading into the holiday season, from a technical perspective, how much can we utilize some of the support and resistance lines that are established on charts in a low volume environment? Are they still, can they still teach us things? Yeah. Uh, to a certain degree. I mean, and you ask that question just perfectly. I mean, because we do have to take everything with a grain of salt. You know, let's just look at let's look at the short term. And I don't really like short term daily charts anyway. But, you know, we took out overnight. We saw uh, March corn take out its previous four day low of 640, what, 646 and three quarters. It dropped to 646. But on the chart itself, it's got support at 644 and a half and then down at 640. So, you know, we're, we're just kind of in a fine line here. You, if we wanted to buy it, just do it anyway. If this is if you're looking to get long corn, uh, get a little coverage on for the end of the year, just go ahead and do it because we're just talking about, you know, you know, pennies at this point. And we can't really read much into where the support resistance is because, you know, last week, last Friday's volume, total volume for the corn market was something like 111,250 contracts. That is ridiculously low just for the nearby contract when things get busy. I mean, that was total for the entire market. So we can't read a lot into it. It's still bullish. If you want to get some on the books, get some on the books, and then we just have to be careful with it. Be careful. Darren, we got to be careful here in this cattle market. Mm -hmm. April trading 160 today here out in the deferreds. Where do you see cattle going from here? And I mean, we've had this terrible storm roll through the, uh, the midsection of the country. Is that going to lead to some cash prices uh, changing here this week? I don't want to be that guy, but you know me well, Mark. I, I'm like, I, I do like being that guy uh, who says, okay, it's wintertime. These markets trade every year in the winter. We, we should know that there's going to be winter storms that come across the plains in the, in the Midwest and so on. Could it affect prices? Yeah. Are we really seeing it right now? No. I mean, if we look at the live cattle spreads, they're bearish all the way out to next August, October, to the next August, October spread. It's just bearish. We've got bearish fundamentals. It hasn't changed. Similarly, in the nearby uh, feeder cattle spreads, we've also got bearish basis in feeder cattle. So I'm just not seeing this, you know, commercial traders are panicking. They got to buy everything. If we've got anything happening at all, and we saw it in the, in the CFTC report last Friday, we've got non-commercial traders covering some of their net short futures position in feeders, which is a perfectly normal, natural thing to do. Uh, so they covered some of their shorts. And that's about all we've seen. We haven't seen a big groundswell of commercial fear over winter storms and this sort of thing. So now we'll see if it actually comes into the, into the cash market. But so far, it hasn't. All right. We'll be watching that cattle market. Certainly a good barometer here in the inflationary environment. We've been speaking with Darren Newsom. He is the senior market analyst at Bar Chart. You can find his writing over at DarrenNewsom.com. And Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk the details of that tremendous winter storm with Teresa Deutschman, DTN Ag Meteorologist, when AOA returns. Stick around. We'll be right back. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different 
differing cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. Eleven million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. Now, if you're like me, you've got friends across the ag industry. And if you've been on social media here this past week, a lot of your friends up in the Northern Plains were probably sharing some of the incredible images from the four to five day winter storm that just absolutely battered North and South Dakota, parts of Minnesota, parts of Nebraska, certainly some parts of Iowa and parts of Montana all got hit. Well, luckily, if you listen to AOA, you were aware John Baranek was on last week talking about the potential threat of this storm. And this week, we are joined by a new voice from DTN, Teresa Deutschman. She's the meteorologist over there with the DTN weather team. And Teresa, thanks for joining us today. Let's talk a little bit about that storm system that came through the uh, the Northern Plains this past week. Some incredible storm totals. Teresa, I have not seen all of the data. Can you fill us in on who got the most out of that storm? Yeah, sure thing. So definitely the Western areas of South Dakota, Nebraska, portions of Iowa, Minnesota got slammed with some of that snow. Uh, we even saw some areas or pockets of snow two to three feet. Uh, it was pretty outrageous, and uh, along with that, some some crazy winds, too. Yes, the wind speeds were absolutely incredible. I was talking to a friend in South Dakota, and he said this dry, very small powder snow with the 60-mile-an-hour winds, it blew into every single keyhole and crevice he could find. And that 60-mile-an-hour, were there widespread reports of that, Teresa, throughout the storm? Um, yeah, so I would say definitely, you know, western South Dakota, western Nebraska, that's where they saw a lot of those blizzard conditions. And uh, even as that storm pushed east, some of that blizzard conditions, yeah, you know, even spread further east into eastern South Dakota, western Minnesota. And yeah, definitely a lot of those places saw, you know, 45 to 55 mile per hour winds. I would even seeing some stuff on social media of you know very large drifts on highways too so that was pretty crazy yes drifts taller than homes heard the story of a confinement cattle shed that had a roof collapse definitely terrifying snow amounts now teresa bring us up to speed the storm has now passed out of the way what's the weather look like for those folks in the northern plains are they going to get some sun and some time to to rebuild and clean some things out yeah so right now we've got like a, a small clipper system coming through today and then the next system we're watching is a low that develops out in the Rocky Mountains. And then 
shifts east off the Rockies here by midweek. Unfortunately, that is going to tag portions of the Plains and the upper Midwest here Wednesday into Thursday this week. Uh, Right now, uh, best area uh, for, you know, significant uh, snowfall would probably be the Central Plains, uh, especially eastern Nebraska, eastern Kansas, uh, portions of Iowa. Um, They've got the best potential right now, but we could even see some of that snow uh, hit a little bit further north into areas of Minnesota. And then as that low pushes east, uh, the Great Lakes will also see uh, quite a few impacts with this. And then right behind that is some pretty cold air. Oh boy, winter is here, that's for sure. Let's let's talk about this system that's coming here early in the week, this Monday-Tuesday clipper, Teresa, that's developing. Who's going to see some impacts from that? Is there going to be any accumulating snow risk along with it? Yeah, so this will just be a, you know, quick clipper system, like I said, um, maybe, you know, one to two inches for areas of, uh, you know, eastern South Dakota, northern Iowa, Minnesota, portions of Wisconsin, uh, see some of that. And All right, then, so that's going to come through today into yep. tonight. Now, mm-hmm. eh, of course, when we've got cold weather like this, we got these systems come through. I always get a little nervous about rain and ice. Teresa, is there the possibility of any icing with this clipper? Yeah, so I would say the potential for ice is kind of low with this uh, system. It's got such cold air on the backside. Uh, that backside is going to be mostly snow. And then uh, with such a sharp cutoff, there's going to be rain on the front side of this. So those rainy, more rainy areas are definitely going to be uh, the southern Mississippi Valley into um, areas of the Tennessee Valley as we go into Thursday into Friday. Um, but yes, with such that sharp cutoff there uh, with that cold front, uh, ice potential will be low with this. Okay, that's good to hear. And Teresa, you know, you brought up some issues that have certainly been important in agriculture, that lower Mississippi River region as that drought has continued to push that river level lower. I know we saw some expansive rains across the southeast in that storm this past week. Have those river levels been coming up and does the the forecast look okay? Yeah, so we definitely have seen those river levels trend upwards here uh, late last week into early this week. Um, With that system here that will develop across the central U.S. uh, midweek into late this week, we'll also see, you know, more potential for precip here, especially Thursday into Friday. Um, But interestingly enough, um, they actually might see a little bit more snow out of this than rain. Oh, more snow. How far south are you expecting to see that snow line on this uh, this Thursday or Wednesday, Thursday storm? Yeah, so right now, you know, definitely some snow into Missouri, but right now we're also watching even uh, some snow potentially even into northern Arkansas. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is going to be some deep cold weather that's going to spread its way across in the aftermath of the storm. Before we get to the spread of that cold, Teresa, one more time, let's talk about where that snow is going to fall. You mentioned Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, then does it push its way east into the Ohio River Valley? Yep, yep. So going into the day on Friday and late this week, basically, um, yep, you're definitely going to see some snow there into the Ohio Valley uh, Friday. And then that system just kind of unfortunately spins in that area there for um, into the early weekend here. So definitely uh, potential for some lake effect snow there across the Great Lakes into this weekend. All right. And then those cold fronts step in and you mentioned, Teresa, they're going to run potentially all the way down to Arkansas. And then how how cold are we talking in the northern plains in particular, Dakotas, Minnesota? How cold could they get in the aftermath of this uh, late week storm? Yeah. So this is where, you know, we're going to have that that little bit of that arm of that polar vortex come into the central U.S. And right now we could even see some uh, temperature anomalies. 30 to 40 degrees below normal by uh, later this week. Oof, that's something a lot of folks will notice. 30 to 40 degrees below normal. And boy, last week's storm, so many of the headlines were about the wind and the wind chills. Is wind going to be a concern late week as well? Yep, yep. Wind's definitely going to be a concern with this system as well. 
Um, yeah, and then, uh, like you said, wind chills are definitely going to be uh, something to be concerned about with this system as well. All right, folks, keep those axes handy for chopping that water open. Teresa, that's what's happening here in the United States. But of course, this time of year, we're also keeping a focus on South American weather. John has been filling us in on Brazil. That weather has looked pretty decent for that maturing soybean crop. Any changes in this uh, coming week for the weather down there? Yeah, so with Brazil, you know, northern central areas, we'll definitely see um, kind of their regular scattered showers here through the week. Uh, right now, we are just kind of keeping an eye on uh, very southern Brazil. They may see a few shots of precipitation here early this week, um, but after that, they kind of dry out. And then the next uh, potential precip comes in uh, later this week with a cold front moving through portions of Argentina into southern Brazil. And that'll be good for those uh, growers down in Argentina as they've been uh, recently hit with some heat waves and dry conditions down there. And Teresa, I know John has mentioned those heat waves in Argentina here in recent weeks. Of course, that drought continues in that country. How hot have temperatures been down there? And uh, that cold front, is that going to put them in the back burner at least for a little while? Yeah, so uh, last week, you know, temperatures weren't quite as hot as um, they've been previous weeks before. So that definitely helped them recover a little bit. Um, and then going into this week as well, temperatures aren't going to be uh, nearly as warm uh, as well. Okay. And any chance of rain with that cold front moving across? You mentioned some showers. How far south are those going to spread, do you think, in Argentina? Yeah. So right now... We've got that cold front. It basically develops over uh, central Argentina. And then those uh, scattered showers push north. So I'd say the northern half of Argentina will see most of those showers. And then um, by this weekend, those showers start to spread north into southern Brazil. All right, lots to come here. That South American crop making its way towards maturity, but still with a long way to go. No doubt the trade will be watching weather down there in South America. And we'll continue turning to our friends at DTN Weather for those updates. Today, we've been speaking with Teresa Deutschman, DTN Weather Meteorologist. And Teresa, thanks for joining us. Yes, you're welcome. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to talk with Krista Swanson. She's the new lead economist at the National Corn Growers Association. She's crunching numbers here ahead of the new year. Stick around for more AOA. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we start off the week of trade here headed towards the Christmas holiday, we see the grain markets under pressure led by soybeans and bean meal. Some sharp losses there as we start off the week. Private exporters reported some sales of corn to Mexico and soybeans to unknown on the morning wire. 132,000 metric tons of beans to unknown destinations for the 22-23 marketing year. 141,000 metric tons of corn to Mexico for the 22-23 marketing year. But overall, that is not really having an impact here on this market trade early on as we are keeping an eye on the COVID situation in China, rapid spread of COVID in China right now. And that has some folks concerned, especially in this commodity sector, it has what that could do to affect demand. Markets are increasingly desensitized to developments in the Ukraine war. 
A lot of fund managers simply don't know how to interpret all the data emerging from the war. So that is something to keep an eye on as well. We're also watching here as we just get to wrapping up the year we could tend to get some of that thin holiday trade low volume trade and that could give us uh, volatility here throughout the next couple of days so that is something to keep in mind as well we're going to see bitter cold affect much of the country here this week and that's going to be something to watch with the winter wheat crop it's going to be putting wheat at risk of winter kill in areas that lack adequate snow cover most notably in eastern Colorado and western Kansas. So even though it should be a fairly quiet week, we still could see some volatility. Livestock trade is fairly mixed on Monday as we are just getting a fairly quiet tone. We do have a cattle on feed report and a hogs and pigs report coming up on Friday ahead of the Christmas holiday that traders will be keeping one eye on here as we work through the week. The stock market quietly mixed with crude oil up 1%. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, fat folks, and welcome back to AOA. Certainly appreciate being a part of your day today. My goodness, and what a day it is. As we prepare here for the holiday season, we heard from Darren Newsom in segment one that a lot of folks are traveling this time of year. That includes traders. So we're seeing the market use this time to reflect on what the numbers are. And numbers are so crucial. We rely on economists to make sure we've got the numbers as correct as we can get them. And today, I'm excited. We're speaking with the new lead economist at the National Corn Growers Association, Krista Swanson, joins us today. And Krista, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. You know, I, I mentioned that the numbers are so important, and I think that's especially true when we're dealing with a commodity organization. Krista, what sort of facts and figures, what does a lead economist at a commodity association do? What's your day-to-day -day there in the office? Yeah, well, I just started about a month ago, and this is a, a new position for National Corn Growers Association, so I'm really thrilled to uh, have be in it. And uh, so what I've uh, been doing over the past month is, um, I guess, a, a bit about my background. I came uh, most recently from the University of Illinois, where I was working uh, with the farm doc team and uh, was involved in the farm doc budgets. So uh, came from a background of working more at farm level economics, which of course, the industry wide view is important. Uh, in, in that regard. But uh, so I'm transitioning right now to, uh, you know, focusing on the dynamics that impact the corn industry specifically. So a lot of focus on what's happening uh, with supply and demand here in the United States uh, for our marketplace, what's happening with the markets that use our corn product uh, and following those types of numbers. And that's so crucial. Now, Krista, you mentioned that this is a new position at NCGA. The idea of having an economist at this organization, why now? What has changed or how are the how is the market or the industry different to make this a worthwhile goal now? Yeah, so I think it's something that has, uh, you know, our state associations especially have expressed interest in over the years. And uh, it was it was time for us to have someone on staff that you know could be that person to answer the questions and 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 keep up with the markets. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of critical things happening. Um, you know, we have uh, 
a lot of things impacting our industry. We have, you know, inflation and interest rates. We have the the war in Ukraine. We have, uh, you know, the a lot of the climate smart goals from our um, government that you know are influencing ethanol, which is such a huge demand user of corn. And uh, you know, South America is increasingly becoming more important in the world market and uh, a bigger competitor in, in that regard. And so I think there's just a lot of uh, things happening um, right now that make it really important to have someone on staff that can, you know, fulfill that role. You know, a lot of things happening. Krista, that might be the understatement of the year, particularly <laughs> as it comes to the ag yeah. environment here. But I'm, I'm wondering, as you think about that massive list of, of things that you could research as an economist and study the impacts of these different things, well, what's going to be first? What's top of your agenda here as you launch this new economist position at NCGA? What, what do you think needs your attention first and foremost? Well, I mean, of course, um, you know, Ethanol is such a huge uh, part of the use for uh, corn that following what's happening with electric vehicles and, and, and you know, uh, pushing the passage of the Next Generation Fuels Act, those types of things are going to be important. I think right now what's, um, you know, really important that's uh, come up here is the uh, you know, Mexico expressing that they don't want to take a uh, GMO corn from the United States. Uh, and, and initially that was set to go into effect in January, 2024. And so following what's happening with that and working on, um, on behalf of the organization to show the impact to, you know, the importance to us farmers of, of continuing that market and, and keeping that door open for all of our grains, um, and not just, uh, certain, certain ones. Um, that's definitely a huge issue right now that, you know, we're working on. Absolutely. No, that's one of those things that's been popping up. It's been bubbling up in more headlines. We've heard Secretary Vilsack uh, uh, talk about it. It's definitely grabbing the policy levers, but I'm so happy to hear you're going to be digging into the economic impact because, Krista, do we have an impression? Does the does the industry know what that impact would be if Mexico were to cut those imports today? Or is that where the research lies? What would the impact be? Yeah, so that's something that I'm working on right now to to get to that point. I mean, just off the top without, um, you know, digging in, of course, um, you know, Mexico makes up about, you know, over 25% of our corn exports total. Uh, Mexico has indicated a willingness to accept GMO grains, um, except for white corn. Uh, but, you know, for our organization, we we really don't, um, you know, we really want to, we have, we have so many years of research proving the safety of GMOs in our food supply. And, you know, we want this to be a science-based decision and we want it to, you know, encompass all of our grains. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at, we're, we're still focused on, you know, what does this mean for us as a whole, if they were to follow through with this and looking at the impact of that. So as an export destination, they're extremely important. Plus they're our neighbor, you know, right to the South here. And so as far as, you know, transportation and, and getting our grain there, that's a really important trading partner to, to have and to, to retain a, a good relationship with. It certainly is. And Krista, you mentioned ethanol earlier, and this, I think, 2022 has been the year of ethanol. We've certainly seen it move into more fuel pumps than ever before. We've seen a lot of consumers try it for the first time this past year, and I'm sure the research is ongoing. But as you think about what you saw this past year, how do things look for the ethanol industry moving into 2023? Yeah, well, part of that kind of depends on where, you know, corn prices are and, and ethanol prices and gas prices, you know, all of these things sort of sort of play together to that market. But as you mentioned, uh, this year was a fairly uh, good year. Um, actually, we had blending rates this summer reaching uh, peak peak rates uh, that we, we have ever seen. So that was a really a positive and um, um, looking ahead, though, I know the ethanol margins are pretty tight right now. Uh, and as we've seen gas prices come down, uh, that can, uh, you know, reduce the, uh, the blends. Uh, I know over the past week, we sort of saw a turn in the uh, amount of ethanol going into finished gasoline, um, 
and, and so a little bit of change in the dynamic that we have seen over the past year. So I'm not really sure what that indicates going forward, but definitely something that our industry wants to keep an eye on. And, and again, we just want to make sure that we recognize ethanol as a renewable fuel source that, you know, we can produce right here. Um, you know, there's some positives to moving to electric vehicles, but there's also some challenges when it comes to infrastructure and, you know, the location where the resources are needed to make those batteries. And so, you know, we have the we have the ability, uh, you know, American farmers have the ability to, to produce a corn crop and uh, you know, we can make that ethanol right here and, you know, sustain at least some of our fuel needs uh, with that. Absolutely. Sustain some of our fuel needs, grind that corn in the U.S., add that value here, maybe put a little more dollars into American corn growers' pockets, which of course is the goal of NCGA. And Krista, one of the ways we've seen that happen over the years is by corn exports. You touched on it. That's going to be a huge issue of study, I'm sure, for your incoming years at NCGA in the immediate future. What's your thought here on exports going out? Do you think Uncle Sam in this latest supply and demand estimate report has it nailed? I, I do. I mean, if you look at the weekly exports so far in this marketing year, uh, we are trailing behind, uh, you know, a year ago, we're trailing behind that five-year average of where we have been. Um, actually, if you if you take the previous five-year average, um, before this December WASDE report, uh, the you know, it, it, the five-year average actually ended the marketing year fairly close to where USDA's expectation had began, had uh, had been, excuse me. And so uh, that lowering really wasn't a surprise because again, we're, we're trailing that pace. And as of right now, we did see this past week, uh, a nice boost in, in exports. Um, so hopefully we can continue to maybe uh, see some of those big export weeks where we can catch up and we don't we don't see that uh, you know pace fall too much farther behind. I will say that uh, exports to China so far this marketing year have been running uh, ahead um, compared to a year ago and the five year average. So I feel like that's a positive. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in what's happening in China right now. Uh, they've you know let up on some of their COVID restrictions for the first time, um, which is kind of uh, unusual to think about when we think about our our nation having sort of been back to you know yeah, normalcy, normalcy for some time for, for quite a while now and uh you know then they've had a kind of a spike in their cases and and there's a lot of uncertainty they seem to be wanting to ramp up industry again um but also they're you know so so watching what happens there and if that's a positive for demand or you know, how that affects our economy in general is definitely uh, something to keep an eye on uh, going forward here. It certainly is. And Krista, I mean, I don't envy you the number of things you're going to have to keep an eye on over the coming years, but I know that you will be publishing a lot of your research. I know it will be available to corn growers. If we've got listeners right now who want to keep up to speed with the work you're doing at NCGA and the other work the experts are doing, where can they go for information? How can they stay in touch? Yeah, well, um, NCGA, we will be posting, uh, you know, a few times a month, I'll be uh, writing a, a sort of research summary on some things that I'm working on that'll be posted on there. Um, if, uh, you know, for any uh, farmer members who might be on a um, uh, email list, that'll come out as uh, with that as well in our news of the day. Uh, and hopefully I can, you know, continue to be a guest uh, with you or other uh you know, radio outlets where we can share share what's happening that way too. Absolutely. We'll keep you up to speed, folks. Go to ncga.com for more info. Stick around for more AOA. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. Certainly things are still happening in Washington, D.C. Of course, we spoke on Friday about that continuing resolution that they got through the House and Senate this past week that pushed the deadline for funding the government to this next Saturday. That would be December 24th. Christmas Eve, of course, is when the government will now run out of money unless they can get their omnibus spending bill passed. We'll have discussions on what is on tap for that later on this week. 
or if they pass another continuing resolution to kick this budget fight on into January where it would fall upon the new Congress. So that battle is happening. We do not have any updates as of this morning besides the conversations are ongoing. However, we do have an update to an important piece of legislation that is vital to agriculture. I think it's more vital in 2022 than it has been in years past, and that's WERDA. The Water Resources Development Act, this is the bill that, like the Farm Bill, has to be re-signed by Congress. WERDA is every two years, the Farm Bill, of course, every five years. And what WERDA does is it authorizes an amount of spending for the largely inland waterway system. We will be talking with our friends from the Waterways Council here later on this week about the specifics of this bill. But crucially, we've talked on the program about some of the discussions to remove some of the dams on the Upper Snake River in Idaho and in uh, the Pacific Northwest. There was talk earlier this year that this WERDA bill would have the authorization for funding to study those dam removals even further or potentially to pull some of those dams entirely. And it's worth noting that in the WERDA bill that is headed to President Biden's desk as a part of the NDAA defense authorization, nothing in the Snake River is going to be touched. So stay tuned. We'll be talking more WERDA later on this week. We'll dig into the numbers. It is a huge amount of money that was rolled out for the inland waterway, certainly at a time when we see the need there on that waterway system here in this country. We've got some other news that we haven't spent much time on here on the program, but it might be worth talking about more as it goes further. Just north of the U.S. border in Montreal, Canada, this past week, negotiators from a U.N. committee were getting together. This was the U.N. Biodiversity Conference, and there were a number of signatories, about 192 folks, got together in a room to talk about preserving biodiversity in nature. And now it was announced this Monday morning that the Members, the folks who have all gone to this meeting, have come up with an agreement in order to help preserve biodiversity, and they are calling for some sweeping changes in uh, the way the environment is managed, and this is global. However, the reason we haven't discussed it much on the program is because the United States is not a signer to this treaty. The U.S. did send folks up to this meeting. Uh, they were able to participate, but they were not a voter, and we are not signed up to bring any of these ideas back to the U.S. in whole, like we've seen in Europe. The U.S. and uh, the Holy See, the, the Pope's house there, Vatican City, are the only two countries that are not signers to this. It's a very big deal. They're promoting the global 30 by 30, the idea that they need to set aside 30% of land and water by 2030. That got more global play. Of course, we've heard about that a lot from this country. The Biden administration has supported it, but we have not seen any hard and fast rules or ways to get there to that 30 by 30 plan under this administration. So we'll be watching for more headlines from this COP15 meeting. That was the group that got together up in Montreal, the UN Biodiversity Conference. We'll see just exactly what their ideas were. And I think it's worth noting, as this sustainability conference is happening, we've heard a lot of talk about reducing emissions, reducing greenhouse gases. We've seen governments around the world crack down on the energy industry, and we're seeing governments around the world crack down on the ag industry in the name of relieving greenhouse gas emissions. All of this came in 2022. Well, as the year comes to a close, now we can look back on what happened this past year. And in spite of all of the discussion about sustainability and emissions, coal usage in 2022 has reached an all-time high. Soaring costs and increased demand drove coal usage to a level not seen ever before in human history. 8 billion metric tons of coal is expected to be burned in order to help stabilize the global energy markets this year. So even though there's a lot of talk about sustainability out there, when we look at how folks are spending their money, at the end of the day, they're choosing to stay warm and stay fed. And uh, we're seeing a lot of moves drive up those commodity prices. And those high commodity prices are filtering on down into the countryside. I don't think it's news to anyone who's tuning in today that farmland values have been exceedingly high this past year. Well, last week, one of the leaders of high farmland values, the state of Iowa, held their annual farmland conference up at Iowa State University. And uh, what they found is that the average price of farmland in Iowa is up substantially. Average price this past year, $11,411. 
That's up 17% from 2021. And it's worth remembering that in 2021, Iowa's land values were up 29% year on year. So we saw a 29% bump in 21, a 17% bump in 2022. And the expectation is that while farmers have cash, they will still be choosing to spend it in ways that grow their operation. A few other stories we've got floating around. We talked crude earlier this morning with Darren Newsom. One of the stories this past year was the Biden administration's choice to sell 180 million barrels of crude from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. On average, that crude was sold into the open market at $96 per barrel. And now the Department of Energy is looking to re buy those crude barrels that were sold earlier this year. They announced they're going to purchase 3 million barrels of crude. Now remember, we sold 180 million. So now the Department of Energy is looking to come in for 3 million barrels of oil to start rebuilding those supplies. They do say these price levels are attractive given that sale price of $96. And they expect that this buyback process is going to be timed to quote, decrease oil prices. Basically, they're going to be looking to buy the dip, just like so many folks trading in these markets out there across the country. We do have some additional funding. We'll be talking later in this week about exports and export promotion. There have been some interesting funding announcements more recently from the USDA, notably NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, got some money and they're gonna be using to help promote ag overseas and USMEF, USAPEAK, our friends in the ag export sector got some MAP funding to help promote ag exports as well. We'll be digging into those numbers as the week goes on, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Tomorrow, we're going to talk that pending WOTUS rule from the Biden administration with Mary Thomas Hart of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We look forward to you joining us then. Have a great day, everybody. computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.